the Holy Spirit and His gifts. By Rod Anderson. Lesson two. Father, again we thank you for the Word of God. We said or we're grateful again that you said that the entrance, the entrance of these words bring light. Hallelujah. Brings understanding to the simple. I love that verse. Holy Spirit, please help us to learn of you. Help us to do more than learn about you. Help us to learn how to make contact with you. How to yield to you. All this power that is yours, that represents all of heaven's might. Teach us how to yield. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Like I said, we're going over a massive overview of a massive subject, or not a massive overview, but we're going to be right here in lesson one. And again, what we're going to do now is just go through some of the most basic scriptures that they would take you through in a Bible college Again, just scriptural proof of the Trinity. So I'm going to read again what I just read at the end of last hours. Matthew 28, 18 and 20 is where Jesus himself, of course, refers to the three in one. He said, And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. So again, I mean, he says, right, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. So he mentions the three there. In Matthew three sixteen, just beneath it, it says, And Jesus, when he was baptized, went up straightway out of the water, and lo, the heavens were opened to him. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting upon him. Again, we got that one in there just because it refers to Jesus the Son and then the Spirit of God coming upon Him of the Fathers in Heaven. And like I said, we're just going to rush through some of these. In first, or number three there, 1 John 5, 7, the Bible says this, For there are three that bear record in heaven. Now, we'll talk about this more later on in the weeks to come. There are three that bear record in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost. And these three are one. Let me just make mention of this here as we go to that. That this is, one, this is the verse that we get that statement from where we say that the Spirit and the Word must always agree. Because where it says, and these three are one, it speaks about being in a perfect harmony. So this is something, again, on planet Earth, we have a very great difficulty of comprehending. We've never seen, well, I doubt if we've ever seen perfect harmony. But we have three individual persons who are absolutely harmonious, or they walk in absolute harmony as to purpose, thought, character, function, and deed. In other words, the Father would never do anything outside, the, the Spirit of God or the Son would never do anything outside of the will of any of the others. Do you remember again when we taught on prayer in John 5? Jesus said, I only do what I see the Father doing. He said, I only say what I hear the Father saying. All these things, all through Scripture. But he said, there are three that bear record. There are three that bear record in heaven. The Father, the Word, 
and the Holy Spirit. So this is the witness, because another part we'll get to later, of course, it says that the Spirit, says that, it says the Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the sons of God. But the word itself is actually a personal pronoun, himself, because again, he is a person, he's not an it. The Spirit himself will bear witness with your spirit. That's a very important issue because what you're going to learn as you walk this Christian walk out is just that. That's something that everybody must learn, how to sense the witness of the Spirit. In other words, where the Spirit of God in you witnesses to you, this is right. <laughs> just like he'll witness to you, mm, you should not go that direction. <laughs> but the Spirit himself will bear witness with you that you are the sons and daughters of God. Because that's the first thing that will happen when he comes is really you'll learn that you'll have this revelation of love. Now the next one is Genesis chapter 1, the very first two verses, of course, of Genesis. It says, In the beginning God created the heaven and the earth. It says, And the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. Now I should have had the next few verses in there because in, it, because then it's if you get a little further to the point where of course it says and the Lord said let there be light and there was light so basically another, what I'm trying to get is we introduced the word now here's a, let me just go ahead and share this principle I'm gonna we'll, we're gonna speak to this if you're able to come on Saturdays when I teach on intercessory life when we get into some of the deeper things of intercession and prayer and something like that at some point, we'll come across this too. But to me, this was really, really life-changing for me. I want you to see this truth about the Spirit of God. Now, really listen to this. I mean, open, use your spiritual imagination. In Genesis, in the very beginning of the whole book, the whole, whole book, what we know in John 1, it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, right? It says, And all things that were made, all things that were made, were made by Him, and without Him there was nothing made that was made. So everything that has been made or come into creation, I don't mean don't get off the wall and talk about weird perverted stuff, but everything like trees, animal, everything that has been made, was made through the Word. In other words, Jesus, the Word made flesh. Okay, but in Genesis you'll see, and in Isaiah you'll see, you begin to get a clue of how these three, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost, work together. Now, it says there that the earth, in Genesis 1, 2, it says, and the earth was without form, was without form. It says the earth was without form and void. In the Hebrew there, it's the word, the only way you can translate it is chaos. It says, in the Spirit of God, it said, it says, in the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. Now, oh, <laughs> let me just read how it's worded in the Amplified so that you can see it. It gives a much better idea of what the word move means. It says, the earth, verse 2, was without form and an empty waste, and darkness was upon the face of the very great deep. Now listen. The Spirit of God was moving, hovering, brooding over the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light. 
and there was light. So again, in these first three verses, you've got God the Father, God the Holy Spirit, and God the Word in Jesus Christ. But it says the Spirit of God was moving or brooding, hovering, brooding. And the reason it's brooding is because the Hebrew word there speaks of, it's the word like Passah, that's all through Scripture, like Psalm 91 that deals with a mother hen, as it were, like brooding over her chicks. But it says that the Spirit of God was hovering, was moving, was brooding over the face of the deep. And there, if you, if you were, had a chance to look in the lexicons, when it says, the dark, it says, and darkness was upon the face of the deep, it says that everything was in chaos. In other words, the earth itself was without form, and it was void. There was emptiness. Now, I don't want to blow your minds now, okay, at all, but God, in Jeremiah, it says that God never created anything void. God created, in the beginnings, God created the heavens and the earth. That's verse 1, right? It said he created, created the heaven and the earth, right? Right? Verse 2 says the earth was without form and void. Verse 1 said God created the earth. Then it says it went from being created by God to being empty. Now, please do not run out of the building and start asking me a million questions when I just make this comment. In a Bible college... This is, well there, well there, this is where they will begin to talk to you about the possibility of a pre-Adamic race. They will tell you that from waywards, again, but nobody knows for sure because nobody will ever know until they get to heaven, but basically the idea of dinosaurs, all these things that can't be explained much by people and everybody freaks out about them, everybody, everybody the major institutions, the major scholars that study these words, they talk about something cos cosmic that had to have happened between Genesis 1-1 and Genesis 1-2. They will tell you that the earth, that because there's all this other scriptural evidence that says everything was perfect when God created it. I mean, God created, when God created something, even if man wasn't there yet or anything else, he created, in everything about God is good. So, for the next verse to say that there was chaos, and the word speaks of confusion, it speaks of massive turmoil, they say something must have happened. Now we know that when Satan fell, when Lucifer, Lucifer fell, Jesus said, I beheld him as lightning fall from the sky, that he was the anointed cherub, remember the Bible says, he was the anointed cherub that covereth. Now we're not teaching on demonology, but he was the anointed cherub that covereth. Anointed cherub. No other angel was anointed, it says anywhere else in Scripture. He was the anointed cherub. Well, the anointing is God's creative power. And it says that iniquity was found in him, that he took his anointing and he created iniquity with it. Pride. He was the one, that, you know, pride. He said, I will, Isaiah 14 is where all this is listed, I will be like the Most High God. I will exalt my throne above the throne of the Most High God, or what have you. The moment he said, I will, there's all these I wills. That's where you find satanic nature, when people begin to live by what? I will. I will, I will, I will, I will. Well, the moment that happened, I mean, God said, really? Boom, man, and he was out of there, like Jesus said, like lightning, I saw him fall. But he fell, he was cast to the earth, it said. And what the theory is, now again, I can't answer all this because I'm not here to teach this, nor would I even be able to, but the theory is that when he fell to earth, 
that he still had the cloak of God or the remnant of that anointing and he understood how creativity took place and he began to try. He began to use the remnant of that anointing and began to create with it and that's where all the perversions of life began to come forth. Okay? Now, like I said, I'm just going to leave it right there. <laughs> but the point I want you to see is between Genesis, Genesis 1, 1, and the earth, God created the earth, point 2, verse 2, so let's just get over that stuff that everybody likes to get off on and go nuts with because your minds go crazy, and I know because I know what mine did when I first got saved. I want to know, that. I, that's all I want to learn about is that. No, just lay that aside. Trust me, you'll go, you go nuts trying to figure it out right now. Don't worry about it. But the earth was without form and void, and there was great darkness upon the deep. And that speaks of great chaos. Now, this is the part that I love, is that the Spirit of God was hovering over chaos. And why I like that is because the Spirit of God is not intimidated by chaos, which makes me have hope. Hallelujah. But now, this is the part that really got me. The Spirit of God is hovering over the face of the deep. Verse 3 says, And God said, let there be light. Now, the Hebrew says, light be, and light was. But I want to give you a clue to something. Turn to Isaiah 34, and look at this verse, Isaiah 34, 16. Now, I've studied this verse a bunch in lexicons and stuff, and I'm just going to give you the, my summary, or, well, most people's summary of it, too. But this really helped me understand how some things work. Isaiah 34, 16. Listen to this. This is from the Amplified. It's pretty similar in the King James as I remember. Seek out of the book of the Lord and read. Not one detail of, these pro of this prophecy shall fail. None shall want and lack her mate in fulfillment. Now this is the part, the last half. Listen to what it says. For the mouth of the Lord has commanded and his spirit has gathered them. Now, did you read that? What's he talking about? Prophecy. What's prophecy? The Word of God. Words that have come from heaven. Do you hear what's being said here? He said, for the mouth of the Lord commanded, in other words, so God released words, but what the Spirit of God does, and again, maybe we'll get to all this, but I want you to at least capture this thought. What the Spirit of God does is He gathers the Word that was spoken by heaven, and uses the word as creative fuel, as substance. Because the word of God has, remember, everything that was made was made through the word of God, and there was not one thing that was made that was not made through him. When God said, light be, just let me leave you with this. I want you to capture this thought. And then, trust me, we had another year to just stay in one subject. This, it is amazing when you study, when you think about the words of your mouth and you think about how things work together all through Scripture, all these things. And you can quench the Spirit of God, how the way you're saved is by believing with your heart and confessing with your mouth and how these things work together and how it's very, you know, confession is made unto salvation. Things come to pass, come into being. God calls those things that be not as though they were until they are. When God said, light be, this is what I want you to see. I want you to see the Holy Spirit hovering over chaos and going, light be, and using it to create light with. You hear me? He gathered the words of God because 
you have to see how the three work together. God's the Father. He's the supreme authority. Jesus Christ is the Word. The Holy Spirit is the creative element of the Godhead. He's the one that even today, I'm telling you, when there's a miracle, it happens to the agency of the Holy Spirit. Everything happens to the agency of the Holy Spirit. Well, this, again, really captured me all those years ago because I got to really understanding something. Then you see, I, I, when I began to pray and when God would speak, when I'd pray long enough to get out of my flesh and get to a place where God began to speak through me, I began to see that God's Spirit is the same yesterday, today, and forever as well, that if you'll just keep God's Word in the arena of your life, that's when you give God's Spirit something to work with. That's when you give God's Spirit something to work with because the Word, there's three that bear record in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost. But the mouth of the Lord commands, but it's the Spirit of God that gathered the things that were commanded. So if you'll think about that, and if you can track it, if you can dare go all the way back to this principle that we've called, we've spoken of before called the law of first mention. While it's not said directly, that's what happened. God said, light be. The Spirit of God gathered those words, and He created light. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. That's exactly what He did. So I, I want you to just be aware of this. You see, what, whatever chaos there might be in your life, the Holy Ghost is not intimidated by it. Hallelujah. Like I said, to me, that made me feel good. When I thought, the more I thought about that, he was hovering over chaos, brooding over it like a mother hen. And see, that's, this is, and this is something, let me throw this out too real quick. In a lot of our church services or conferences, you'll hear people say, boy, the Spirit of God was really moving last night. And I say it myself sometimes, and I need to catch myself. The Spirit of God was really moving. But what the Bible teaches is that the Spirit of God is always moving. But there's a big difference between the moving of the Spirit and the manifestation. I said there's a big difference between Him moving and something manifesting. See, this is what I mean. It's when you get the Spirit and the Word together. What does God confirm with signs and wonders following? His Word. Isn't that right? Jesus said, you know, you, you go and you preach this Word, and He said... And he said, and I'll, I'll be with you. God will go with you, confirming the words that were confirming the message, confirming the word. God confirms the word. The message comes on healing, the spirit of God, where people believe it, that faith with, coupled with the word of God, faith with the word of God allows the spirit of God to go into his creative act and create the healing. See, that's, do you hear what I'm trying to say? You hear the truth, faith cometh by hearing. You hear that it's himself took our infirmities and bare our sicknesses. That's Jesus coming out. Your heart makes a decision to believe it. That's faith. When the word and the faith come together, the Spirit of God goes, thank you, and now he can do something. And he begins to recreate even human cells, hallelujah, and bring life where there was no life. That's how creation took place. And I've got a news flash for you. That's how creation continues to take place. You create because you empower what you believe. God's Spirit takes words that come from your heart that are in faith and uses them. If your words aren't connected to faith, there's nothing for them to use. But the same thing in reverse is, is true as well. Like I said, other things are created in your life by virtue of the same principle. 
<sighs> Anyhow, let's move on. I can see you're really loving me for that part, so let's move on. But in the beginning, God created, God created the heaven and the earth, and the earth was without form and void. Darkness was upon, chaos was upon the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was moving, hovering and brooding over the face of the deep. And God said, light be, and light was. So I had down here three little points. God spoke. Well, Jesus is the Word. The Holy Spirit did the work. Okay? So there's some verses that just show us that we're the scriptural proof that we're talking about the three in one. Now, point B, the personality of the Holy Spirit. Now, this part, I, I, again, we're just going to go through some of these quickly, but think about this. The fact that we can prove, it says, his personality proven. He has a will. Well, 1 Corinthians 12, 11 says, when it's speaking about the gifts of the Spirit, and we're going to get to those towards the last two weeks. But all these worketh that one and the selfsame Spirit, dividing to every man severally as he wills. So what we want you to see here is, again, as we work through this, is that the Spirit of God, it, he has a personality because you can't have a will without having a personality. And again, if we'll just work through this, Ephesians 4.30 says, And grieve not the Spirit of God, whereby ye are sealed unto the day of redemption. Now, you know, and we're going to get to another one. I'll, I'll quote it early, but it'll say in Thessalonians, Quench not the Spirit. You can grieve the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God is likened unto many things, water, wine, oil. They're all types of the Holy Spirit. But one of them, of course, is this dove that he's likened unto. And one of the reasons it's good that we see him as a dove is because a dove is easily startled. In other words, this is why a, like, the different people operate in different ways according to their belief, but like a Benny Hinn. Benny Hinn is ultra-sensitive to this working of the Spirit because of the way God has led him over the years. And I mean like in, in, in the church when he had, I don't know if he still has the church back there or not, but like, for example, he... The way God's dealt with him is in, he's so sensitive to the Spirit of God that when something happens that would stop it, I mean, he just, it just freaks him out. He gets, what you, if you were near him, you would say he was angry. But it's not that he's angry at people. It's just that he's frustrated because that which he's so desperately trying to lean into is suddenly he's distracted from. Like crying babies, when he had this church, he... The ushers, you didn't have a chance. <laughs> he wanted those babies out of there. He loves kids. He's got to love his own kids. But, but he knew. Well, I'll, I'll give you another. I'll give it to you another way. Like my own spiritual father, he used to tell us that, you know, when he's listening, when he's before service, and you know, he had so many, so much, so many miracles in his ministry in his life, and he said he would be laying hands. I, I used to work some of the prayer lines with him. And it was incredible. He, the anointing of God would be so strong. God's spirit. See, God's spirit, the anointing is God's spirit in action. And he'd be laying hands on people. And that anointing would be flowing. And he used to tell us, I have to move fast while that's there. Because he said, I can tell in a moment when it lifts. And you can pray the prayer of faith for people anytime. But if that anointing's there, you need to move quickly. Because, you know, we're working with people and people are weird. And things happen that can quench the Spirit of God and can grieve the Spirit of God. And I mean, our, in a big, big Colosseum type thing, well, big, uh, what was it? A big giant hall where they have like stands around where you can walk up and, you know, where there's like, 
areas where you can buy soft drinks and hot dogs and things like that. And some of these big conferences, well, of course they have those things. If you hire those big venues, they have those things manned by the people that run the, the, the big centers because that's part of the package and they sell goods and stuff. But what would happen is, I mean, you have to understand the Spirit of God is moving. He's a Holy Spirit. And somebody would walk right down off into the middle of the meeting with a hot dog and a Coke. Now, and he would just like know instantly, and it would just like poof, and he'd just go. And you'd see this grief come on him, and he was just like so, because he was stopped right there. And I mean like, and he'd tell us afterwards at times, he said, you know, so when people... The very next person I go to lay hands on, and you have to understand, this is not pride. This is talking about a 78-year-old man that had been walking with God for 58 years of his life. Talking about how he just went to lay hands on somebody, but he just felt that anointing leave, just boom, depart. And it, just, it would like break his heart because he wanted that stuff to get on as many people as possible. It wasn't about him. He knew that he whatever had happened that he'd yielded and he got to that place where that anointing was there and he wanted that to flow into the people. But see, we are just have so much to learn about this. Now, again, the Spirit of God is bigger than you think as well because please understand, it's how people believe as well. There are some guys that I've, worked, I've been with and they wouldn't care if there were 35 babies crying on the front row. There's something about their very nature that they're able to capture something and move in the midst of what others would see as turmoil and confusion. You know what I mean? And so they're able to go ahead and minister, but even with them, if things get too much, you know, if the truth be known, all I know is this, not as much happens in those kind of meetings as used to happen in the meetings where there were less opportunity for people to be distracted. Because he is a Holy Spirit. And again, well, we're going to get to more of that later. He has a personality. It says here, grieve not the spirit. Now, if you have your opportunity, do your own little word study, but it means just that you can grieve him. Do you know what it means to feel grieved? To be saddened? The word actually means to be saddened. Or just something happens where you pull back. And Paul said this. He said, you can, he wouldn't have said this if this, couldn't have ta if this can't take place. You see what I'm trying to say? Don't grieve the spirit of God, whereby you're sealed. And you can grieve him by your, this is why like when I had the, the actual Bible college, the Bible school, I, I would teach my students over and over again, like I said, about you have to train yourself how to hear and how to not be distracted. I mean, if every time somebody walks down the hall, you, you have to stare and figure out who they are. If every time somebody walks in the back of the church building, you know, if you're that easily distracted, you'll not really, you're not really going to receive much from the Lord. You're just not. You have to train yourself how to be hungry. You have to train yourself how to lock on. Jesus said the measure of thought and study you give, the measure, in other words, what, teaspoon size or bucket size? It's your choice to use the size of the, me the, measure, the measuring device that you want to use. But Jesus said the measure of thought and study you give to the truth you hear determines the measure of virtue, which is the word for power, they're dunamis, determines the measure of virtue and power that comes back to you. And, I, and see, this is, the Lord dealt violently with me about this when I was in school because, I mean, I, I, I worked, when I was at Bible school, that one-year Bible training center where all these old prophets were, I worked from 11.30 at night to 7.30 in the morning every night. I, you know, I'd put myself through school. 
And I'd get off at 7.30, I had time to go home, I'd take a quick shower, I'd lay down and faint for about 15 minutes and had to rush and get on the road and get to the school. And I had to get there because classes started at 8.45. I was finished work at 7.30 by the time I got back there. So you had to be there at 8.45, chapel started at 9 as it were. And I've got all my old, all my old notebooks somewhere. And I mean, I, I don't know if you know this, but if you've worked a whole day, a whole night, you know, you're apt to be sleepy when you come into the classroom. And like, it's so funny. I've literally got some of my notes like here. I'll, I'm writing along and literally just for real, pin goes right down, you know, I just, <laughs> I just fell out, you know, I just so tired. I mean, I'm just trying. But I began, this is why you'll hear me say those things sometimes, because this is how the Lord dealt with me back then. He said, you can do this if you train yourself to. I don't want you to miss the people I brought you to sit under. And he said, it only, and then you've, how many, you, most of you that have ever heard me minister much, you hear me say this, it only takes one word from heaven to alter your eternal destiny. And that's because that's what he spoke to me all those years ago. And he got my attention with it. He said, it only takes one word from heaven. He said, I just have to find your heart at a vulnerable moment for one word from heaven to change you forever. He said, but you have to train yourself how to hear because you'll have everything in the world wanting to distract you. You'll be thinking about where you're going after class. You'll be thinking about who you're going to meet tomorrow, thinking about what you're going to have for dinner, what you're going to have for lunch. You have to train yourself how to hear. Remember I gave you that quote before when I wrote that article on listening for some outfit. I told you I went up www.listening.org when I was doing some research of just about listening and it spoke about the fact high gain incorporated some outfit that trains major CEOs of corporations. I may be misquoting the actual name, but the statistics were again that the normal human being, remember, that they think at the rate of between, and I may not have my numbers wrong, but they think at the rate of something like 2,500 to 35 words, 3,500 words per minute. They think, they think at a rate of 2,500 to 3,500 words per minute, but people only listen they only listen at the rate of 250 to 350 words per minute, or 150 to, three, 150 to 300 words per minute. In other words, you think 10 times faster than you listen. So the issue is you're so busy thinking that often you don't listen because they're two different actions. You can be so, it's like when you, how many of you have done this when you've talked to somebody and you knew that they weren't listening to anything you had to say, they were preparing for what they were gonna say back to you. You know what I mean? They don't listen. You have to train yourself to listen to God. To listen. And you're going to have, at some point in your life, if you're going to have freedom, you're going to have to train yourself how to shut up, excuse me for being just like that, and listen and quit always being the person that thinks they have the answers. Because even those that are trying to help you have to be able to talk to you. In whatever area of life, whether it be a boss in a company or what have you, all I know is this, people who learn how to listen, not just hear. See, vibrations right now can be tickling your eardrums and you can be hearing sounds and hearing words, but hearing my words is not the same as listening to them. Amen? Did you listen to me? <laughs> So again, all those back then when I was at school, like I said, I had to train myself in the way that he said to me. He said, I don't care if a train goes through this classroom. I want you not to be distracted. 
And I mean, I got tried on it a lot. I mean, people walking by, stuff happening, you know, you do this, and I would just find myself going, mm, and I would force myself to bear down. I'm going to listen if no one else does. I'm going to listen. It's a choice. What I'm trying to tell you, it's a decision. It's a decision. And I'm telling you, the Spirit of God, the Bible says, remember, in the Old Covenant, it speaks about it. He wasn't, the voice of God wasn't in the earthquake, wasn't in the fire, wasn't in the light, is in that still, small voice, remember? You're so busy in your mind that you often never hear that. And this is what we get to train ourselves to. Be slow to speak, would you? Do yourself a favor. <laughs> Be slow to anger, but be a quick and a ready listener. And you have to train yourself how to listen. It's just vitally important because otherwise you'll, I mean, when if those of you that are in a relationship or want to be in a relationship, trust me, you better learn how to listen. Because when it comes to male-female relationships, you know, there's all the difference in the world between hearing them and having heard them. <laughs> I'll just leave it at that. Anyhow, now watch. He has a will. The Spirit of God has a will. He can be grieved. Personal activities. Well, I mean, he he's, teaches. John 14, 26, Jesus said, But the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever I have said unto you. And again, learning to commune with the Holy Spirit is important about this too. Every one of these very familiar verses, I probably, I don't know if I do them daily now like I used to do them religiously, but I release my faith for the working of this. What I mean is, it's I fellowship with the Holy Spirit. That's why I don't pray that way all the time just to make you think that's how I pray. It's because it's part of my life now. Holy Spirit, please come with every necessary anointing, Holy Spirit. I mean, I talk to the Holy Spirit. Like again, even Hans' book, Good Morning Holy Spirit. He said the first thing he did in the morning is he says, Good morning, because he's a person that's within me. He's, he's that, he's within me. And I need to fellowship him. So you have to be as a little child and begin to develop this and say, I don't understand it all, but Holy Spirit, teach me. You, the Word of God says, Jesus, you said your Spirit will teach me the things that the Father taught you. Well, that can't be bad. Can it? I mean, that's got to be a pretty good deal. He will bring all things to your members, but you have to release your faith. Holy Spirit, I'm asking you, bring these things to my remembrance. I, I get fed up when I hear people all the time talk about how they have a bad memory. I know that you may have in the natural a bad memory, but quit confessing it. Start asking the Spirit of God to bring things back to your remembrance, the good things, not junk. You know, forget all the junk. But he, it says that's part, this is part of his job description, is what I want you to see. I will teach you. Well, then it'd be good to talk to the guy because he's a far better teacher than I am. Hope you do know that, don't you? Say amen real loud. Amen. Hallelujah. I mean, he is the teacher of the church. He is my teacher. And I need to listen to him better. He's your teacher. You see, this is why I will say later, I hope I don't teach all eight hours in one day. <laughs> you have an, but first John, John said, but you have an unction from the Holy One. And you have no need that any man teach you. 
What the word unction means is there's an anointing that's within you that will teach you if you'll learn how to listen to it. Paul puts it another way when he says, you need to learn how to be led by God's Spirit, not by your flesh or by what computes is okay in your head. Hallelujah. Okay, now let's, we got to move quickly. He teaches, release your faith. Holy Spirit brings in the next page point. Well, I don't know if it's the next page in yours. Point B, he guides. They're similar, but see, I want you to know these verses and know that he's a person that he wants to do this for you. Jesus said, how be it when he, the spirit of truth has come, he will guide you into all truth for he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak, and he will show you things to come. And that's one of my favorite little things to get on there is I wish more people would release their faith for this part of his working. Jesus said he will show you things to come. Hallelujah. I want to tell you, we need to be pre-warned, pre-advised, and he wants us to be prepared. Even when people misquote all about the coming of the Lord, they say, well, the, the coming of the Lord, it says, will be as a thief in the night. How many of you heard people teach that? It'll be like a... And they actually leave you thinking that Jesus is going to come like a thief in the night. Now, it's really a contradiction of thought in the Bible for Jesus Christ to be likened unto a thief. But they never go to the next several verses. It says, but that day shall not come upon you, for you are children of the day, children of the light. That day shall not come on you as a surprise, it'll say. Now, you have to hear what that's saying. It's saying that basically those that are going to listen, God's going to be giving them some previews, some advance notice about some things because he wants his people to be ready. Somebody say hallelujah anyhow. Hallelujah. Really. But see, if you don't know that, if you don't believe that, if you don't release your faith for that, you'll just flow with everybody else and says, well, I don't know anything. <laughs> I don't know when anything's going to happen. No, it says you may not know the exact time and hour and moment as far as things like the return of the Lord, but it doesn't say you, but it says you will know the seasons. Let me tell you, you can recognize seasons. But anyhow, you need to release your faith for this working. <laughs> Sorry. First John 2.27, I just quoted, but the anointing which you have received of him abideth in you. Now, now I got to throw something else out to you right here too. Have you ever thought about this? You know, I actually wrote it down because I don't want to misquote it. Have you ever noticed that it says that, that it's an anti-Christ spirit that's going to come? It doesn't say anti-Jesus. I want you to think about this. This is what I wrote down. The anti-Christ spirit has an agenda to get the church to embrace Jesus apart from the anointing. I'm going to say it again. Actually, I got this part, that part. I got actually from this book we were just talking about, Bill Johnson. Bill Johnson says this. He said, the Antichrist spirit has an agenda to get the church to embrace Jesus apart from the anointing. It's Antichrist. The word Christ means anointed one. What he's really against is the anointing. You see, he doesn't care. Oh, please hear this. Really, 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 really hear this. Really, really, really. Please, if you don't hear anything else, say hear this. He's not that bothered. He's not that bothered that the church celebrates Jesus. But what he's really freaked out about is if you discover the anointing. Because the anointing leads you to all the freedom. It's, oh, don't get mad at me. Do not mishear what I said. 
of course the devil doesn't want you to know Jesus either, but he really, really, it's, he's an anti-Christ. He's an anti-the anointing spirit because it's the anointing that sets people free. So you can gather around about, don't you, this is what I'm trying to say. The churches, there are 90, the world is full of churches that proclaim their faith, as it were, that talk about Jesus, but there's no demonstration of the power anywhere. And so the church is thought of as some weak, again, anemic, whatever, because it's just where people gather, and it's a socialistic, humanistic gathering of people, and, but there's no power. So it's, let me tell you, if there's no power, there's no threat to the devil. There's no threat to the world. This west end of London right here would shake to its boots if every single one of you walked out of here with the anointing of God on you in demonstration of the power. But you can walk out there and tell people you go to church and they'll go, that's nice. But if you go out there and people fall on the ground because of the anointing of God that's on you, that'll change yes. the way Amen. people are. Yes. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. That'll change something. It's the anointing that, that we're after. But the anointing which you have received of him abideth in you, and you need not that any man teach you. But as the anointing teaches you, see, once you begin to recognize, oh, once you begin to recognize the difference between what is anointed and what isn't, that is what begins to teach you. Because the anointing will guide you in places where doctrine won't. This is why, like I said, the anointing will take you outside of the realm of religious control and you'll, be, you'll get into an area where you don't have perfect structure about. This is where, again, religious leaders freak out because, well, I don't see that exactly in the Word. Show me exactly where that is in the Word. Now, I know what they mean, like I said, because I'm a word teacher, but the point is you have to recognize that all through the past, all through the Bible, there were things that were not written in the Torah, not written in the five books of Moses, but the Spirit of God did some things, and that anointing was God. And it brought the liberty and brought the, brought the freedom and the deliverance. So it's the anointing. Once you learn some more about it and how to know... One old black preacher in the States that I had, a, I love this guy. He said, he was asked once, he said, what's the anointing? He said, can you define the anointing for me? And he said this. He said, well, he said, I can't tell you what it is, but I can show tell you what it ain't. <laughs> I love that statement. He said, I can't tell you exactly what it is, but I can show tell you what it ain't. And I tell you, that's a, that's a big thing to learn right there. You may not be able to explain what it is perfectly, but I want to tell you something. If you ever experience it, you know what it isn't. Hello? You'll begin to know what it isn't. And we need to know what it is so that we can know what it isn't. Just the same thing like when I teach on the peace of God. He said, the peace that passes all understanding. It's not the same peace as the world gives. If you're looking for peace by the definition of the world, you'll never recognize the peace that God gives. Two different things, two different animals. Okay, point D, another part of his activities, it says that he strives with sinners. And the Lord said, my spirit shall not always strive with man for that he also is flesh, yet his days shall be 120 years. So he talks about that we have a promise that we should live around 120 years old. Everybody always says 70 years old, but really the Bible teaches 120. With long life will I satisfy you. But it says my spirit shall not always strive, man. So if you can see from that, again, that's a whole other thing you can study. Part of the activity of the Spirit of God is to work and to try to pursue man and to try to convince man and work with man and strive with man but there can come a point where man can just say, you know, they can reject all the working in the Spirit of God. And that's, that's what he means when he says the Spirit of God will not always strive. You know, which is, we are very foolish. 
He is susceptible to personal treatment. Acts 5.3 says, of course, speaking of Ananias and Sapphira, but Peter said, Ananias, why hath Satan filled thine heart to lie to the Holy Ghost and to keep back part of the price of the land, if you remember that passage. But in other words, you can try to lie to him, but it's a pretty foolish thing to attempt. Why would you want to lie to the Holy Spirit? We won't go into that passage because I don't want you to freak out. Acts 7, 51, you stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears, heart and ears, you do always resist the Holy Ghost as your fathers did, so do ye. They resisted the Holy Ghost. You can resist Him. In other words, just see the simplicity of these verses. You can, you can lie about what the Spirit of God is doing. In other words, your actions will lie against what the truth is trying to bring. He is the spirit of truth. You can resist it. In other words, he can be so dead. And he's a comforter. Remember, he's called the comforter. The word, remember, is paraclete. Not parakeet, but paraclete. One called alongside to help. He's called alongside you to help you. He wants to bring comfort to you. But, you know, if I was to reach out and try to put my arm around you and comfort you, you can resist me if you want to. And I have to let you because I'm not going to force myself on you. Well, again, he can, he can desperately want to come and comfort you and to strengthen you and to be your standby and to be right there with you. But again, the Bible says that people can resist him. Now, why is that important? Because again, of this false doctrine, this false teaching out there that when people say, well, if God's God, he'll just do what he wants to do. Right? That's still what's said all over the world. Well, if, it's, if it's God is God, why doesn't he just do all this? Because all over the world, people are resisting God. And God will not force himself on a stiff-necked people. Now, you, got to, you have to get that settled in your gut. You really do, because otherwise you'll fall prone to all the stupid arguments in the world about how God's a bad God. God well, if God was good, why didn't, you know, if God's such a good God, why does he let all these babies starve? It goes all the way to the root of that. God has never, ever, remember Romans says, all man is without excuse. Not one person has ever gone to hell without having the Godhead revealed to them through creation, if nothing else. That's what Romans 1 teaches. It says, so that all men are without excuse. You have to take that and understand that is a bottom line truth. God, for God to be just, he could not allow any man or woman ever to bust hell open, go to hell, without first having revealed himself to them in some clear way. Otherwise, he'd be unjust. So th this is the thing. This is, why, this is why they talk about even with children, unless you start to figure out, remember that thing about age of accountability. You know, death, we don't know when death enters into the spirit of a child. It, but it, normally people would say it's when that first moment of rebellion comes, when they first make a bona fide decision against truth is when, like, really death enters in. In other words, children, if they're six months old, stuff like that, there's so, nobody, in other words, nobody, nobody surely in their right mind would think that if a six-month-old child died that they were going to go to hell. You hear what I'm trying to say? Now, let's don't try to theologize. Theorize about all that. Just understand, God is a just God. He's not going to send a six-month-old baby to hell. But do you hear me? Yeah. Just, just don't ask me to explain it. Just know that's the way it is. My God is a good God. Romans says God is love. God's never hurt. Love never hurts anybody. But there is an age of accountability. Who knows when it is? 
it depends on the mental makeup of an individual and what have you. But the point is here, again, let's don't get off into la-la land. I just want you to see he can't be resisted. And you have to understand that's the truth. God always stretches. The eyes of the Lord are searching throughout the whole earth to show himself strong on behalf of people. But that doesn't mean people will ever yield to him. This is why we, those who do know him and know how to intercede, it's so important for us to pray so that we can hopefully back some darkness off. Some of the very pressures of the God of this world who's blind in their eyes Part of our responsibility is to pray the Word of God in there so that the light comes in, the entrance of God's Word brings light, so it pushes back the darkness and gives people an opportunity to see what they've not seen before so that they can turn and turn to God. Hallelujah. Turn from darkness unto His marvelous light. Hallelujah. Okay, we've got to stop. But he, so He can be lied to and be resisted. And again, 1 Thessalonians 5.19, it says, Quench not the Spirit. So like we said again, He can be quenched. In other words, I mean, that's more than being grieved. Grieved is sad and quenched is where his activity is stopped by human activity. Did you hear me? That's heavy. Again, we kind of think, well, God can do anything. No, he can't. He can't lie, for one thing. And again, we go back to Jesus in his own hometown. Could not do mighty works because of what people believe. So the summary is that the Holy Spirit is a definite member of the Godhead. He has a definite personality, and the Bible says that He is the anointing. He's referred to as the anointing. Okay, we're going to stop right there. Father, again, we thank you, Lord. Please teach us about your Spirit, Holy Spirit. We want to learn of you. We want to better understand these things. We want to be used by you more. We want you to use us. So we ask you to help us in these matters in Jesus' name. Amen. You have reached the end of this lesson. Please insert the next lesson to continue.